73 years ago today, uh, at 7.55 a.m. in Hawaii time, uh, it would have been 12.55 Eastern time, uh, the Japanese Imperial Navy bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh, some of you are old enough to have remembered the events that surrounded that day. On that occasion, on that specific day, over 2,000 uh, of our countrymen lost their lives, and another 1,000 were wounded and injured and had to be hospitalized uh, from that event. Uh, President Roosevelt said that concerning that date, that it would be a date that would live in infamy. And it has. We remember it still today of uh, the loss of life and uh, what that engaged us in uh, going forward from that time. Uh, World War II, I think the statistics say that roughly 85 million people died because of that conflict. Now, it wasn't all military death, but it was death uh, civilians as well as the military and uh, a number of factors that they take and add into that figure. But 85 million die connected to that war. Uh, war is evil. Now, I know, I know and I understand that there are justified responses to aggression. I'm not saying that uh, there can't be a right party in a war, Um, just as an individual has the right and the responsibility to protect himself and his family, um, nations are given by God the authority to do the same on a broader scale, Romans chapter 13. But war is brought about because of sin. Someone has sinned. Someone is living and has conducted themselves in a way that violates the will of God, or we would have no war. War has been fought over huge moral issues that, uh, you know, had to be fought. But wars have also been fought over some of the silliest, pettiest matters that you can imagine. Have you ever heard of the War of the Whiskers? That's how it's dubbed. It was a war between France and England. It lasted 301 years. And the reason for it getting started in the first place is that Louis VII of France had married a woman and he decided to grow a beard. His wife didn't like his beard. She said, I want you to shave it. And he said, no, I'm not shaving my beard. I kind of like it. And so she had their marriage annulled and went to England and married King Henry II's war uh, was started and carried on for 301 years because a guy wouldn't shave his whiskers. Um, The War of the Oaken Buckets. Have you ever heard of that? It was a war in which... Uh, a number of people were killed. It lasted 12 years because, and, and here's what it was about, two cities, Modena and Bologna, and they had a bucket, a wooden bucket in one of the cities, and some men from Modena went up and took that bucket. They raided the city that night and stole a bucket, a wooden bucket, 
And in order to regain a sense of their um, pride and prestige and to regain, I guess, their wooden bucket, they went to war. And these two cities warred at each other, uh, with each other for 12 years, killing men and women. There's the War of Jenkins' Ear. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But in the 1800s, Great Britain and Spain uh, entered into war over a man's ear. Uh, there was a man by the name of Jenkins who was a uh, merchant captain, a sea captain, and a Spaniard slipped on board one night and cut his ear off. Eight years later, he's still a little upset that a Spaniard cut his ear off. And so he took that ear that he kept, and I hate to think of what that must have been like, but he took it to Parliament and said, look what they did to me eight years ago. And Parliament declared war on Spain because of this ear being cut off, and that war lasted eight years. There was the football war, 1969, between El Salvador and Honduras. They had a huge soccer match, and so much was riding on this, and pride, and bragging rights, and and you've seen how soccer fans get sometimes, and Honduras won that soccer match, and I guess they celebrated just a little too strong, and El Salvador couldn't take it, and so they invaded Honduras in 1969 and killed more than 3,000 people because of a soccer game. The list can go on. These are just like four examples of trivial wars, the taking of life um, over nothing, over the smallest of matters. And, And it doesn't just happen on a national scale. Does it ever happen at church? Are there such a thing? Is there such a thing as church wars? Do Christians ever war with themselves? Do we ever get in scuffles with each other? Do, do children of God ever become casualties, not of the world and of Satan, but from friendly fire? Does that ever happen? I know of churches that have divided over how we count the people, or at least people have, have gotten mad and, and turned their back on God. Because of how, how are we going to count the people? Are we going to have some guys go around and count? Or let's just uh, have everybody sign a card and we'll just count the cards and count them by the cards. How are we going to do that? I know of somebody that quits and, and withdrew from God because they didn't count the way they wanted it to be counted. I know a person who said, I will never serve God again because they changed the collection being taken up at a different time as the Lord's Supper. They just changed the time that the collection was taken up. He was done. I know of a church that had such fuss and fighting over padded pews, like y'all were sitting in, that here's what the church did. Pad, wood, pad, wood, pad, wood, all the way back. I've preached there before. I've asked why it was that way, and and that's the explanation I got. They were having a fight 
And that's what they decide. Well, let's settle it that way. Those who want wood can sit on their wooden bench, and those who want the pads can sit on the padded rows. I know of a church that uh, had problems over, do we put a, a kitchen in the building? Do we put an oven in the building? I don't think you ought to eat in the building and all that kind of thing. And so here's what they decided. You can warm stuff up in the building using those ovens, but you can't cook from scratch in the building. And that was their attempt to compromise because there was war taking place over those issues. And I can go on and on. You, you get the point. But I don't want to, I don't want to go there and stay there. What I want to do is just to acknowledge that sometimes there are wars that are fought and casualties that mount over things that just don't matter. How do we stop those kind of wars? I think the Bible gives us some good advice. And I think that we can put to an end some of these frivolous wars in which we engage if we'll do... I'm going to offer three things for you this morning. The first thing is this. If we want to bring it into frivolous wars that we see among us, first thing is this. Love peace. Love peace. Value it. Seek it. Endeavor to keep it. Don't be content with something less than that. In Psalm 133 and verse 1, the psalmist says, How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He said it's good and pleasant to just be united, to get along, to be at peace. But I want you to notice something, and I, I know that you've noticed this before, but I want to reiterate it. But notice what he said. He didn't just say how good it is to be at peace. And he didn't say how pleasant it is to be at peace. He said how good and how pleasant it is to dwell together. It's both. It's good and it's pleasant. And those aren't synonymous terms. They don't mean the same thing. You see, there are some things that are good and they're not pleasant. And there are some things that are pleasant and they're not good. I'll give you an example. Something that's good but not pleasant. I may have shared this with you before. But when I was, uh, you know, almost a teenager, I, I was away from home. I got a terribly sore throat. And I was, I was at my cousin's house. My aunt and uncle were taking care of me for that week. And my throat was so sore. And in their house, not in ours, I never had this done before, but they would paint your throat. Have you ever had your throat painted? I, I didn't even know what that, you're going to do what to my throat? And, and they got me down and held me down and my aunt, it was the first time I learned my aunt was stronger than I was. She held me on the bed and my uncle painted the back of my throat. That was good for me, I guess. But it wasn't pleasant. And I can think of a lot of things that are pleasant, but they're not good. You know, what would our diet be if we just ate pleasant things uh, that aren't very good for us? You see... But unity, existing together in peace, the psalmist says, man, that's good and it's pleasant. It's good for you and it's enjoyable as well. We need to value peace. And, and the lack of it is caused... It, we're not the only ones. 
In Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and Lot had a fuss between themselves and their herdsmen. They couldn't get along, so they had to go their separate ways. In 2 Samuel, you can read about uh, verses 13, or chapters 13 through 18, the rebellion of Absalom against his father. They weren't at peace. They, they didn't get along, and they fought, and Absalom actually overthrew his father David for a while. And even among the disciples of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, there's that dissension between the 12 apostles that he had hand-selected. And they're a group. They're together. They're, they're the core unit. And they got to fighting among themselves because two of them wanted to have a position of prominence. Uh, can we be your right and left-hand man? And uh, so they fought. So the fighting, it, it happens to us all. In the church of Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there was fighting in the church. They were at war with each other. They were taking each other to war. They were having disagreements that they couldn't settle, and so they were taking it to court and suing each other and making uh, a shame, a sham, the name of Jesus. And he instructed them to, to put that to an end. Galatians chapter 5, and I may have written on your outline uh, 18, but it should be 15. Galatians 5.15, Paul warns them, you got to quit biting each other because pretty soon, if you don't stop, you'll be devoured by one another. There'll be nothing left. So we're instructed, Romans 14 and verse 19, pursue the things that make for peace and whereby we might edify one another. It's not something that is casual, that that crosses our path every once in a while that we stumble upon. It is to be a pursuit of ours. Pursue peace. I know sometimes we pursue trouble. I know sometimes we pursue conflict. And we stick our nose in things and we, we get involved and, and we stir the pot. I know how that works. We, we're guilty of that sometimes. When's the last time you pursued peace? How, what might that look like? It might mean you don't tell everything you know. It might mean you keep your mouth closed and you don't share information that's only going to make somebody else mad if you, if you share it. There are a lot of ways that we can pursue peace. But that needs to be a pursuit. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, there's a warning. Listen, are you going to be a servant of God? Okay, good. Servant of God's though, servants of God, they don't strive with each other. That's what Paul told Timothy. They don't quarrel with one another. Are you a servant of God? All right, well, let's prove it. We don't fuss. We don't argue with each other. We don't quarrel. Ephesians 4 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul, as he goes through and talks about those seven ones, that unity that should exist, he says in verse 3 that we are to endeavor or to give diligence to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Listen, if war is to stop, if Christians are to get along and exist together in peace and harmony, if this congregation is to continue to be what we are and to be the influence in this community and in our brotherhood and across the world that that we currently are, if we're to continue to allow that to happen, it's going to take us loving 
and valuing peace. We have to do that. Here's the second thing. If we want to bring wars to an end, we have to stop being selfish. We have to not always have to have our own way. Turning your Bible to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? James is looking at the brethren and he says, listen, where, why are you guys fighting? Where do these wars come from? What, what is this that I hear? I'll tell you where they come from. They come from your own desires. Y'all are wanting, you're, you're, you're self-centered. It's your own pleasures and your own desires that are causing you to engage in this conflict. We can understand that. We all want our way. We all would like to be, uh, you know, ha- have people see things the way we see things and to make the decisions that, that we would make. We all think our opinions are right or we wouldn't hold them in the first place. And so we are happy when people acquiesce to our positions and our opinions. But can you live if you don't get your way? Can, can you behave yourself if you don't get your way? Can you get behind something and be for it, even if it's not your preference? James said, that's your problem. That's what's bringing these wars among you. Because you're you're just looking out for your own selfish desires. Isaiah 53 and verse 6, as he talks about the Messiah in that passage, he says concerning the sacrifice that Jesus was to make for us, he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Well, that sums it up good, doesn't it? Well, we have turned everyone, all of us, no exceptions. We have all turned to our own way. Selfishness. Instead of saying, God, what would you want from me? What do you expect from me? We're saying, I like this. I want it this way. And because of not considering what God wants, but we're searching for what satisfies ourselves, we have conflict. And so we've got to stop being selfish. If wars are to cease among us, we have to value peace We have to stop being self-centered and realize I don't always have to win. I don't always have to get my way. And then third, we have to acknowledge God. Look at James chapter 4 and verse 7 and what I mean by acknowledge God in three ways. Look at verse 7. Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And that idea of submitting to God, you know, it's like we're in ranks. What, what happens when we all go our own way? Can you imagine a military where everybody goes their own way? You know what military, what, what they do? Um, they, they march. They do a lot of marching and basic training. And they learn how to stay in line and stay in step and follow directions and follow orders. And everybody works and walks and, and conducts themselves as one unit that's part of the discipline. Can you imagine what it would be if, if left foot goes forward and somebody else decides 
right foot's going to go forward and it's going to go this direction. See, it'd be chaos. There has to be, you have to submit yourself to the leader and do as he commands. And so that's what James is telling these Christians who are looking out for themselves. They're selfish in their desires. They're wanting their own way. And that's causing them to envy other people. And it's causing them to be mad and to have these wars and fightings among them. And so James says, guys, listen. Number one, you're going to have to submit yourself to God. Put yourself under his authority. Get back in line and conduct yourself as as he instructs. Submit to God. He also says, verse 8... Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. How do we draw near to God? I've heard people talk about how close they are to God and what a good relationship they have with God, and they do what he says don't do. There's no relationship with God. There's no closeness to God. There's no drawing near to God if you're not going to obey him. Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he said in John 15, if you are my friends, you'll do what I say. You cannot have a relationship with God that excuses disobedience. You remember, there was an Old Testament king that thought, you know, I'm king of Israel. And I'm something special. I'm king. And so, you know, what is this thing about the priests being the only ones that can offer sacrifices? I'm king of God's people. God and I are tight. And so he just barges right in and thinks he can offer a sacrifice to God. And God struck him with leprosy. Just because he was tight with God doesn't mean he could flaunt the will and the commandments of God. He, that king died a leper. Even though he thought he had a relationship with God. Because he disobeyed. James says, if we're to stop this fighting, you need to submit yourself to God. Get back in line. Number two, he says, you need to draw near to God. Have a relationship with Him. And that can only come as you obey Him through obedience. And then he says in verse 9 and verse 10, lament, mourn, and weep. Mourning uh, and your mourning, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. When there has been conflict, it's not a time for laughter. It's not a time for pleasantries and, and joy and frivol, frivolous conduct. There's a time for mourning. And for weeping. And and he says, listen, you guys have been at war among yourselves. You're brethren. And you've been fussing and fighting with each other. You've been envious of one another. We can't get the work of the Lord done because you have such bad relationship with each other. Get back in line. Submit yourself to God. Draw near to Him. And humble yourself in His sight. Say, I'm sorry. I've been wrong. I want to do better. If we do those three things, will we not have 
and be able to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Listen, there have been enough lives lost due to war. And there have been enough spiritual lives destroyed due to spiritual war that need not have taken place. Um, Fussing over matters that are insignificant. We need to bring war to an end. Frivolous war that costs lives and souls, that needs to stop. We shouldn't have an enjoyment of it. We shouldn't enjoy the opportunity to engage in it and, uh, and uh, you know, check our muscles and see how big and bad we are and who we can beat up and, and who we can run off. That, that's not what it is to be a child of God. James says this is what it is to be a child of God. Get yourself under control. Bring yourself under, get back in line, get, get under the authority of God and draw near to Him through obedience and humble yourself and He'll lift you up. That is the remedy for war. Today is a day that will live in infamy. As we think about what happened 73 years ago today, we, we see the horrors of war. But we don't have to think long and hard and go too far off into foreign fields to consider the casualties that have been lost because of unneeded war in the body of Christ. Let's secure this place. Let's dwell together in peace. Let's appreciate the goodness and the pleasantness of peace. And I, you know, I appreciate, and and one of the things that, you know, I, I know we can't be overly conceited and we cannot be overly proud of ourselves uh, in a way that is boastful, but you're to be commended um, for the peace that exists here and for the unity that is involved. And that's not to say there are never troubles and there are never opportunities that we could really make a mountain out of, but we choose not to because we choose peace as our pursuit rather than conflict. And I'd just like to encourage you to keep it up. It's the only way we'll make a difference in this world. No one will want to be a part of who we are and share in the message that we have if they see it as warmongering. People are looking for peace. And let me close with this passage that comes from Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 17. This passage says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever. Man, isn't that great? If we'll but live righteous lives, we'll have peace And that peace will bring assurance forever. Do you want the peace that belongs to those who are in Christ Jesus? Do you want Jesus to be the Prince of Peace in your life? If you do, humble yourself before Him. Step in line, do what He says. Draw near to Him. He'll forgive you. He'll bring you peace, not only with your brethren, but with God Himself. 
Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that this morning. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, and you need peace back in your life, peace between you and God, maybe peace between you and your family, or peace between you and your church family, we'll pray with you at this time. If you need to respond, we invite you to do so as we stand together and sing.